Good morning, church. Um, I'm very excited to be up here this morning. If you're current with our reading plan uh, for 2022, this last week you would have read uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 12. And this week our passage is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. But before we get into that, uh, last week, um, Allison and I got to go to the movies on a date night. And one of my favorite things about going to the movies is all the previews you get to see of upcoming movies. And one of the previews that we saw was for the new Avatar movie that's coming out. And it made me think about the first time I saw the original Avatar. Uh, How many of y'all have seen this movie? A few of y'all? Well, the first time I saw it, I started watching it halfway through the movie. So I was completely lost. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea who these giant blue people were and why they were fighting with people. And I tell you that to say this, jumping into the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 can be a little bit like that, like jumping into a movie halfway through. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a background and some context so we can understand what Paul is trying to teach us. Paul planted the church in Corinth on a second missionary journey, and he stayed in Corinth for approximately 18 months. You can read about this in in Luke, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 18, the story of Paul planting this church. And almost immediately, Paul began to face opposition from the leaders of the Jewish synagogue. But God spoke directly to Paul and told him, you need to stay here through the opposition and speak. So Paul did that. He stayed for a year and a half, and he continued to teach the Word of God. And because of that, Paul cared deeply for these people. He cared deeply for the church, a church that had very serious issues. So when you read through 1 Corinthians, there's 16 chapters. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, is Paul's introduction to the letter. Landon talked about this a couple weeks ago. Chapter 16 is Paul's ending, his conclusion, his greeting and telling them what to do when he leaves. Everything in between, in verses In chapter 1, verse 10, through the end of chapter 15, is Paul addressing these issues in the church. These are serious issues that they have. So the first serious issue they had was factions in the church. Landon talked about this last week. There was divisions in the church based on who was their favorite preacher. There was those that said, I'm of Paul. And those that said, no, I'm of Apollos. And then there was those that said, no, I'm of Peter. And then the super spiritual that said, no, I'm of Jesus. So they had this great division in the church. The next issue that they had was sexual immorality. There was open sexual sin going on in the church that was being excused by church members and, in some cases, was being celebrated by church members. They also 
were suing each other. You had lawsuits amongst believers, church members in the same church suing each other in civil court. And then last, these are just the list of things that bring us up to chapter 10. There's more that comes after chapter 10, which you will read about next week. But in chapter 8, Paul addresses the issue of food offered to idols. And in chapter 10, verse 8, Paul says that they are to not eat in the temple of an idol. And that begs the question, or at least it made me think, why would a professing follower of Christ be in a pagan temple eating? We need to understand something about Corinth in that time. And one of the things that we need to know is that the pagan temples in Corinth were not just places of religious ritual. They were also places where people gathered socially and where business was conducted. People would have gathered together in these temples to have meals together. People would have made business deals there. So this wasn't just a place for sacrificing to an idol. Lots of things happened in these temples. So it would have been common for these Christians to be in these temples to eat meals there as well. So all of that brings us to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, Paul's going to continue addressing this issue of food to idols. But he's going to do it uh, in a little bit different way than he has up until this point. So here's the big idea of our passage this morning. All Scripture is given to help believers flee sin and pursue righteousness. Throughout Paul's letter to these Corinthians, he is reminding them that as believers, as Christians, they are to be set apart and to be different from the culture that surrounds them. And in our passage today, Paul is going to use Scripture to show the Corinthians that they are in danger of idolatry just like Israel did in the wilderness. So let's read our passage today. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can read it in your copy of the scripture or it will be on the screen as well. It says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, and I pray that today that you would help us to see the importance of all scripture. Pray that you would see, help us to see how this passage applies to our lives. And we pray that your word would change our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So early in the second century, there was a man named Marcion. Now I found this painting of him. Marcion is supposed to be the guy on the right. And I don't know why you can't see his face. You may understand why you can't whenever I explain to you what he's known for. He was the son of a bishop, and he believed that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was not the same God that's revealed in the New Testament, not the father of Jesus, of the Christ. He also believed that the Hebrew scriptures were not the word of God, and that any reference to them in any of the apostles' writings needed to be scrubbed out. So therefore, his copy of the scriptures that he thought was canon was very small. He had a copy of Luke, and he had 10 of Paul's letters. But he had scrubbed out any reference to the Old Testament in all of them. And because of this, because of his heresy, the early church excommunicated him, um, but there was good that came from this. Because of this heresy, it forced the early church to truly think about Scripture, about the inspired Word of God. Um, and it ultimately, these church leaders affirmed what they believed was God's Word. And so because of this, this is one of the reasons why we have the Scriptures we have today. So there are still those today that tell us that we don't need the New Testament. But as we read our passage, we'll see Paul clearly saw the importance of the Old Testament. So the question that I want us to think about this morning as we work our way through this is, why is the Old Testament important for us to study? The first thing that I want you to see is there are parallels between the history of Israel and the church. 
This begins in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers. It's remarkable that Paul uses the term our when he's speaking to the church in Corinth. Because the church in Corinth was not made up of all Jews. It was mostly Gentiles. So why would Paul use the term our fathers speaking of Israel when he's talking to Gentiles? The point is Paul is connecting the church to the history of Israel. Through faith, believers become descendants of Abraham. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. So as believers, because of our faith in Jesus, we are descendants of Abraham. We are in God's family, and therefore Israel's history is now our history. So Paul points that out first. The second parallel that I want you to see is the parallel with baptism. Paul says in verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. With the presence of God in the cloud and with them passing through the sea, they were baptized into Moses as a symbol of their salvation from slavery in Egypt. Just as believers, when they come to faith in Jesus, are baptized as an outward sign, a symbol of what has already happened on the inside. The Spirit is with you and that you have passed from one life to the next, from death into life, you are baptized into Christ. So there's this parallel between baptism. There's also a parallel between the spiritual food that Paul refers to, the spiritual drink, and the Lord's Supper. If you remember, in the wilderness, God provided food for his people in the form of manna and then quail. And here in this passage, Paul says that it was spiritual food. And he also refers to the spiritual drink where God provided water from the rock. Paul refers to those as spiritual because he's saying God is the one that provided them. And those were free gifts to his people. Much in the same way, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we eat the bread and we drink of the cup. And we do that in remembrance of the free gift that God has given us. The gift of eternal life. So secondly, the second thing that I want you to see about why the Old Testament is important for us to study is the Old Testament points us to Christ. Paul's going to give us one example here of where the Old Testament directly points to Christ, and then I'm going to give you another one uh, after that. So Paul says that the rock that provided water for the Israelites in the wilderness was Christ. He's referring to the story in 
Exodus chapter 17. Where Israel is wandering through the desert and they come to um, they come to a place called Rephidim. And there's no water there. There's nothing for them to drink. And the people start to grumble and complain. And God gives Moses instructions. He tells him to go before the people and to grab his staff, the one that he used in Egypt. And then we read this in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. This is God speaking to Moses. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of the people. Paul is telling us that the rock that provided the water was actually Christ. Not that he was literally the rock, but Christ is the one that was providing for his people. So Paul gives us this one example of where we see Christ. There are many more. You can find many, many more examples of Christ in the Old Testament. I'll give you one more. I have on your notes Exodus chapter 12, which is the Passover. In the Passover, God instructed Israel to take a lamb, to sacrifice it, and to take the blood, and to paint their doorpost with it. And in doing so, when the destroyer came to kill the firstborn, he would pass over their house because of the blood on the doorpost. The blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost ties directly to Jesus' blood being shed on the cross. Paul points this out to us in 1 Corinthians. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So one of the reasons that it's important for us to study the Old Testament is it points us to Christ. It points us to God's plan of redemption for his people. The third reason that it's important for us to study the Old Testament is the stories in the Old Testament are examples for us and therefore our instruction. Look again at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. These things are examples for us and for our instruction. So how many, ask this, how many of y'all have an older sibling? Anybody? I don't, I'm the oldest. So I ask that because one of my favorite things to do is listen to stories that my dad tells about growing up. My dad was the youngest in his family. He was the youngest of six, but he actually only got to, to be with two of them because the others were much older. And there was three years difference between all of them. And he would tell us these crazy stories that my uncles would do. 
But he would always tell us at the end, I learned what not to do by watching them. That's what Paul is telling us right here. Paul is telling us to learn from the mistakes of Israel. Learn from the mistakes of the wilderness generation. So let's walk through these. Paul gives us four examples, four warnings about what we should be aware of. And the first is this. It's in chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, it's in verse 7. Paul tells us, do not be idolaters. The story that Paul's referring to is the story of the golden calf. So if you remember, after the exodus, after the crossing of the Red Sea, God takes these, leads the people to Mount Sinai. And there God tells them that he's going to be their God and they're going to be his people. And they agree. They say, we will do everything God tells us to do. And then Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God to receive the law. And while Moses is on the mountain, ironically, while he's getting the law, he's gone for 40 days. He's gone for a while. And while he's gone, the Israelites get restless. And they think, Moses is gone. He disappeared. So they go to Aaron and they say, make us gods that will go before us. And Aaron says, okay, give me all your gold jewelry. So he takes all the gold jewelry and he fashions it into a golden calf and gives it to the people and they have a great feast. And they say, this is our God that saved us. Paul actually quotes part of this story whenever he says, um, in the end of verse 7, he's quoting Exodus 32, 6, when he says, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They threw a feast and had a party with this new God, little g God that they had created. And Paul's warning us here not to be idolaters, not to follow their example. Second warning that he gives us, we find it in verse 8. And it's this, do not indulge in sexual immorality. This story takes place in Numbers chapter 25. You can read about it in verses 1 through 9. In this story, Israel commits sexual sin with the daughters of Moab. And Scripture is very, very to the point on what they were doing. When you read it in the ESV, it says this, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. They committed sexual sin, and then, to top that off, they began to worship Baal with the Moabites. They worshiped and they sacrificed to them. And so Moses realizes this, this is bad. This is really bad. So he tries to be preemptive, and he says, 
He tells the people he's going to hang all of the chiefs of the people, hoping that it would turn away God's anger. But it doesn't. God sends a plague among the people. And on that day, over 20,000 people died because of this sin. So Paul's warning us here, do not indulge in sexual immorality. The third is this. We see it in verse 9. Paul says, do not put Christ to the test. This is the story of the fiery serpents. We find in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. The people become impatient with what's going on. And they start to grumble and complain, not only against Moses, but against God. And they have the same complaints that they've had since they left Egypt. It's the same thing. Over, when you read through it, they complain about the same thing. There's no food. There's no water. Why did you bring us out here to die? It's the same thing. And this time, because they complained about God, God sends these fiery serpents among them. And the serpents bite them, and many of them die. Many people die. I also want you to see that Paul is saying right here, this wilderness generation put Christ to the test. It's another example of Paul pointing out that Christ was actually the one who was providing for the Israelites in the wilderness. And so what does it mean to put Christ to the test? Putting Christ to the test means not trusting in his provision or in his promises. So Paul says, do not put Christ to the test. The fourth warning is do not grumble. Now you can find plenty of stories in the story of Israel in the wilderness. You can start from almost right after they cross through the Red Sea till the end of Numbers when they're going into the promised land. You can read anywhere in there and find almost any store where they're grumbling or complaining. But I gave you three, sorry, I gave you three on your notes. The first one I gave you was in Numbers 11. Numbers 11, the people just start complaining. And scripture says that God hears them and he gets angry with them and he sends fire through the camp. Some of their camp was consumed by this fire. Second story I gave you is in Numbers 14. This is when the people grumbled against Moses and against Aaron after receiving the report from the spies who went into the promised land. Remember that they sent, Moses sent 12 spies in. They come back and they say, the land is everything God said it was going to be but we can't take it. Ten of them said that. Two of them said, no, let's take it now. But the people listened to those ten. And they complained. And they grumbled against Moses. So God punished them. 
And God punished them by telling them that they were going to wander in the desert for 40 years until that generation, the generation that had seen everything that he did in Egypt, till that generation had passed away. And then he would lead his people into the promised land. And that happened. Everybody died except for two. Caleb and Joshua got to go into the promised land. They were the two spies who gave the good report. And then the third example, the third scripture I give you is Numbers chapter 16. This is the story of Korah's rebellion. A group of 250 men led by a man named Korah don't like Moses' leadership. This is right after they have been told they're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And they don't like Moses' leadership. So they're going to have this rebellion. They come up against him. And God punishes them and he ends the rebellion by consuming them with fire. God consumed 250 of those guys with fire. This, so this is the story of Israel throughout their time in the wilderness. They grumbled constantly about God's provision, about his protection. They didn't trust in him. And Paul's warning the Corinthians and us not to do that. So those are the warnings and the examples Paul gives us. So what do we do with them? How do we apply these to our lives? That's the question we want to answer. What do we do with these examples? The first thing we do is this. We humble ourselves. Paul lays this out clearly for us. Look again at verse 11. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Throughout Scripture, there are lots of warnings about humbling. We should humble ourselves before God. We must humble ourselves. Proverbs warns us about this. We read this in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We must not be arrogant. We can't be arrogant. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves. Secondly, we heed the warnings. I don't think you can have the second one. You can't do the second one without the first one. You won't heed the warnings until you humble yourself, which is why Paul puts them together in verse 11. We must take these warnings that Paul gives us seriously. So I want you to look back at verses 1 through 5, and I want to point something out to you. I want you to look at how many times Paul uses the word all. Paul says, For our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all ate the same spiritual drink. 
all of those people got to experience God's grace and his gifts. But then Paul warns us in five, in verse five, nevertheless, most of them God was not pleased with and they were overthrown in the wilderness. That's a warning to us. We get to take part in God's gifts. Paul's writing to a church of believers who most likely had all been baptized, who all took part in the Lord's Supper, who all got to hear God's word. And his warning is, look back at these people. Not all of them got to experience this, but not all of them made it. That's a warning to us that we must, we must persevere until the end. We must learn from the mistakes of the people that came before us. We must learn from the wilderness generation of the things not to do. And the last thing that I want us to see is what we do with this is we trust God because he is faithful. Look at verse 13. Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. God will not let his people be tempted beyond their ability. And when that temptation comes, he will provide a way of escape. He will provide the way out. God is the one who provides the escape. That's kind of been the theme as I was studying all this. God is the one that provides Paul's making the point. Christ was the one that provided in the wilderness, that provided the food, provided the drink, provided the protection for them. God provided for his people in the wilderness. He is the one that provides. That's the beauty of the gospel. God provided a way for sinful people to be reconciled to himself. It's not something we can do on our own. God provides the way. And he did that by sending his son, Jesus. He sent him. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was hung on a cross. And he paid our debt in our place. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And those respond to him in faith and repentance will receive the gift of eternal life. That's my prayer for us, that we would remember. It's why we have to remember the gospel. It's why we have to be reminded of it all the time. We forget. God is the one that provides, and we must humble ourselves and listen to his warnings in Scripture. Let's pray.